All right, well, good morning again. It's good to see all of you. And if you have a Bible, please grab it and make your way to Ephesians chapter 1. That is on page 976 in the black hardback Bibles around you. And uh, if you didn't bring your Bible this morning, try, and you're a member of the church and you're here every week, try to remember to bring your Bible every single week. And if you don't have a good Bible at home, then take one of the black hardback ones around uh, around you, take it home with you, write your name in it, you can keep it, and then bring that every week because all we pretty much do is make our way through uh, the Bible. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning through Ephesians. And we're continuing to read verses 3 through 14 because it's one continuous thought. It's one like super mega run on sentence. And we're breaking it up over last week, this week, and next week under the ideas of kind of past, present, future. It also kind of breaks down Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, and so we're going to be breaking it down that way over the next three weeks. We started last week, verses 3 through 6. Today we have verses 7 through 10. And the next week we'll do verses 11 through 14. And next week we're going to do something that's kind of neat. John will be preaching in here and I will be preaching the exact same message at Grace Church in Smyrna, where, uh, which is the church we planted a couple of years ago. We're actually preaching at the same time along with them, going through the same scriptures, the same studies. And so uh, it's been a neat time of preparing messages together with Tom. And John and I will have a chance to do that next week uh, together as well. So if you have your Bibles, like I said, Ephesians chapter 1, page 976. Uh, and to get us going, in 2007, so we're going way back now, 2007, uh, that summer, uh, it was my second year in seminary. And June the 5th of that summer, Claire was born, and so I had two kids now in seminary. And so a month later was July the 4th, and with Claire being that small, it meant it was just Haley and I who went and, and watched the fireworks. And we were living in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and so Haley and I went and we watched the fireworks. And they, it was kind of like here in Nolensville. They did, to be a small town, they did a really, really good job with the fireworks. And, you know, it just was one, one firework after another after another, and it just kept getting bigger and just kept building and just kept building and kept getting bigger and, more mar and just more glorious. And, um, you know, Haley, I had her on my shoulders and and I looked up at her, and at one point, like, her eyes were huge, and her mouth was open wide. She was amazed at just how these, you know, fireworks just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and kept coming, getting bigger and brighter and more beautiful and more glorious. That image of the fireworks happening and, and Haley's mouth and eyes is exactly what, like, both is happening in Ephesians 7 through 10 and the feel we should get coming out of it. Because this whole section that, that uh, was just read, verses 3 through 14, is just a continuing blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. Like you bless it like this, like this, like this, like this, like this. And it just keeps being, getting bigger and building. And it should leave us eyes wide open, mouth agape, in amazement and wonder at these blessings that have been poured down upon us. And this morning, we've got five more of those that we're going to look at. We looked at a couple last week. We've got five more this morning. We'll have some more next week. But all of these roll up, all these blessings that God has given us roll up so that we would then in turn bless Him, praise Him. Because all through this poem here, verses 3 through 14, is a resounding chorus to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory. And so to the praise of His glory, let's look at these five blessings five more reasons 
to bless God because of how He has blessed us. And it's not overstating it to say that if we will grasp hold of these five things that we're going to talk about today, then it can reorient our lives. It's not overstating it to say that if we will truly get the depths of these blessings that we have in Christ, like personally, but then also recognize that our brothers and sisters in Christ here have this exact, these exact same blessing. Like these things aren't just ours. They're all of ours. Everyone who's in Christ has these blessings. If we will get these truths, it will reorient our lives and should leave us like a two-year-old seeing fireworks for the first time. And so, let's chat about it. Good news here. Five reasons to bless God for what He's doing right now, for what you have in Christ right now. And the first one is just very plain. First couple words in verse 7. Look at it with me. In Him we have redemption. And so number one in your notes, not rocket science here, bless God because we have redemption. Okay, bless God because we have redemption. Now, what does that mean? John was explaining it a little bit. I was sitting back in the booth. I was like, don't preach my sermon. Don't preach my sermon. But, I mean, he nailed it. Redemption is, it involves the payment of a ransom to reclaim something that has been lost, been taken away, or is held captive. To put it much more simply, it's deliverance by the payment of price. Redemption is deliverance by the payment of a price. And what we need to be delivered from is sin. It is sin that has taken away the original righteousness that God intended us to live with. Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, has taken that away, and we've inherited that, but then we also sin ourselves. And so it's taken it away, but it is also sin that holds us hostage. Every single one of us is held hostage by sin. The Bible says that we are all slaves to sin. And we run around thinking we're free, but we're not. We, we can't not sin. Left to ourselves, we are slaves to it. But God so loved us that He sent His Son to take our place. And to die on our behalf. And so through that we are purchased. We are ransomed. We are redeemed. Look at the rest of verse 7 there. In Him we have redemption through, here's how, His blood. Like that's the price. That's the cost. That's the payment. And for some of us we hear this and this has become so familiar we're almost unmoved by it, which is weird just coming out of my mouth that we would be unmoved by the fact that the sinless Son of God had to and did die, like it was required for us to be forgiven, for our sins in our place. He gave Himself. And yet sometimes we become so familiar with that, we become inoculated to it a little bit. It doesn't hit us like it should. And I think the reason is because that, that we're largely unmoved is because so often we deny or, or we don't fully understand or recognize the depth of our depravity, the depth of our captivity to sin. 
See, if you don't think you're actually that bad of a person to begin with, then Jesus isn't that great of a Savior to die for you. Like, he didn't really need to do a whole lot. I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I'm, thank you, I appreciate it, Jesus, that you, you helped me get over the, the hump, the last little hurdle. I did need a little help there, and you helped me get that. But on the whole, I'm a pretty good guy. And so if that's kind of how we view ourselves, well, then of course we're not going to build our life around that. It would be ridiculous to try to build our life around someone who didn't really do that much for us. But if we recognize the truth of Scripture, of the depth of our sin, that we are slaves to it, that we are so far from the holiness of God, the sinless perfection of the Creator God, sovereign of the universe, if we recognize the depravity of our souls and the wrath that we deserve for our sin, And then that you've been redeemed freely, fully. And there's nothing left to pay. And Jesus has paid it all. And going back to our verses last week, you've been adopted into the family of God. That you've been made new. If you get that truth, like like in, um, I don't know, Jackson Hole is probably the place where it's the darkest that I've ever been, so you can see the stars the brightest, right? The darkness shows the stars the brightest. If you get the darkness of our hearts, then the brightness of what Christ has done becomes so much more evident. And when you see it that way, when you understand it that way, he stops just being you know, viewed very small, and what he has done for you becomes much more eye-opening and realistic and that'll make you stake your life on Christ when you recognize that it'll make you live grateful it will reorient your life I mean you can think of it this way every month I get this horrible envelope in the mail that tells me this ridiculous amount of money I have to pay to a bank for the house that I live in and I hate it when that thing comes and it just keeps coming I keep hoping one day it'll, it'll stop and maybe will in 26 years. <clears throat> I'm not joking. That's what's left. <laughs> but what if God sent you a bill like that every single month for what you owe truly for your sin? And he sent you a bill and it's had listed out, itemized. Here's how much you lusted. Here's how much you coveted. Here's how much, you know, you, here's how much idolatry you committed. Valuing people and possessions and positions and prestige and the praise of man. And here's, like, here's what I called you to give. And then here's what you actually gave. Both of your time and your talents and your resources. You didn't live generously like I called you to. And you, you didn't share me with anyone, let alone even invite anyone to church. You didn't love your neighbor as yourself. You didn't live as one with your spouse. You didn't die to yourself daily. You've got a a record of all these things. Here's, you know, you didn't give your kids the attention that I've called you to give them, the spiritual direction, the love, the care that I've called you to do. And as far as time this week, you spent, you know, 
seven-eighths of your free time reading the newspaper about the president and one-eighth, if any, reading about me and my word. What if God took account of all of your sin, past, present, and future, He put it on the ledger? What would that look like? Including all the self-righteous thoughts that you've ever had. And you're like, well, my ledger would be pretty short. And you are self-righteous. And it's a lot longer than you think. Imagine this huge ledger. I mean, for me, it would wrap around the world multiple times. Times New Roman. Eight-point font. Single space. So you've got this ledger. You've got this debt. What this is telling us is that Jesus has come and he's paid it all. That there's none left to pay. This is your debt. And Jesus has come and he has ransomed you. He has redeemed you from your captivity to sin. See, the wages of sin, Romans 6.23, is death. And Jesus has paid the wages for not his sin, our sin. He was sinless. And so in him, you have redemption through his blood. And I want you to note that. We have it. You see that verb? In him we have redemption. Like right now, not just in the future, we have it right now, which means that you no longer have to accept certain sins that are in your life. Because we have redemption. That Jesus, because Jesus has redeemed us, we can walk with him away from our slavery to sin, our captivity to sin, or using a modern word, our addictions. We're enslaved, we're captive, same thing. And so listen, I, I don't know what perhaps it is that you are addicted to, or that you're enslaved to, that you are held captive by. For some, it's money. For some, it's sex. For some, it's power. For some, it's glory or, or control or control of others. For some, it's possessions. For some, it's comforts. For some, it's alcohol. For some, it's pain pills. For some, it's food. And so I don't know what your thing is, but whatever has mastered you, whatever rules over you, Jesus has come to free you from that. And by the grace of God, you can walk with Him in a brand new life. That's the blessing of redemption. And friend, while we have this redemption, all caps, capital, like capital, capital S-I-N, all caps, sin. While we have redemption from sin, all caps, sometimes it takes a minute to work that out in our lives with particular sins. Not that we're not redeemed from them, but getting freedom in the practicalities of our life. And so if you struggle with something, if you were enslaved to something, if you were addicted to something, don't fake. Get help. Get help. Open up to those who know you well, community groups, small groups, whatever it is. The elders will help you pray with you, connect you if need be to others who can help you more. 
and see you set free. Set free. In him we have redemption. We've been set free through his blood. But not only have we been set free, we also have forgiveness. Look at verse 7 again. In him we have redemption. I mean, bless God for these things. Bless him that he's redeemed us, right? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Did you see that? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And so the second firework of blessing this morning, and we want to praise God for is praise God, bless God because we have forgiveness. We're not just set free from our sin, redemption, we also are forgiven of our sin. And so what haunts you? What do you regret? And when you look back across your life and you think about, maybe it's just that, man, if I could have this one thing that I could do over, what would it be? Most of us can probably think of at least one thing pretty quick because we feel that shame and we feel that condemnation. Maybe we're even still living in light of some of the implications and complications that came through that sin. Friends, I have good news. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. And Jesus has paid it all. You, you are forgiven. I mean, imagine being an absolutely guilty, you know, convicted criminal on death row. No, no question of, of, of guilt here. You are guilty and still the governor walks in at the 11th hour and sets you free from your coming doom. That's us. If you are in Christ, that's you. Like it's over, it's done. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. I, I just want to scream you are forgiven. You get that. If you're in Christ, you are forgiven. That should change your life, that should reorient your life. If you're forgiven for everything you've done, you're forgiven for everything that you will do someday, you're forgiven. And I want you to feel that. I want the Holy Spirit to impress that on you and empower you to feel that. When Christ died on the cross, He paid the full debt of your sin. And when He says you're forgiven, guess what? You're forgiven. In Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. Isaiah 44, 22, God says, I have wiped out your transgression like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Jeremiah 31, 34, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God chooses to not remember it. 
He doesn't forget because he's omniscient. He can't not know by definition. But he chooses not to hold it against us in Christ. Outside of Christ, none of this is true. In Christ, every ounce of it is true. Micah 7, 19, you, you will cast all their sin into the depths of the sea. And so, once again, friend, if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. This is who you are. This is your identity. You are redeemed. You are chosen. You are a son or daughter of God, adopted by Him. Going back to verses 3 through 6. You are forgiven. And somebody's like, this is too good to be true. Anything that's too good to be true isn't true. Yeah, except with the infinitely kind God of the universe. Not only are we forgiven, I mean, look, look at how, the, almost the wellspring of it. Look, continue and read. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and here we go, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And so, number three this morning, bless God because we are lavished with grace. Bless God because we are lavished with grace. Again, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And I want you to note that ending there. That God, with infinite wisdom and insight into our hearts, into our lives, into our sin, into our trespasses, Infinite wisdom and insight into those. Can't fool God. He sees it all, right? Infinite wisdom and insight into those still redeems us, still forgives us, still credits to us Christ's status, His righteousness. Like This is the very definition of grace. It's not what we deserve. That's the whole point of grace. It is unmerited Favor, that's what it is. It's undeserved reward. That's what makes grace, grace. It's unearned. It's undeserved. And God, according to Ephesians chapter 1, lavishes it on us. Now, have you ever been around somebody who's just crazy generous? It's crazy generous. They give you not just more than you deserve, but more than you would ever even think. For example, this past New Year's, with January 2nd through the 5th, uh, my aunt and uncle, who were who just average like wage earners, he drives a bulldozer and runs a, drive, he drives a dump truck and runs a dozer, and she lays out footers. But they're just crazy generous, crazy generous. They invited, like, everybody on my mom's side of the family. My mom's one of four. All the kids, all the grandkids, they invited everybody. They rented a great big cabin up in, up in Pigeon Forge. And they said, anybody can come, come. And so ladies who've been to uh, the women's retreat, it's, it's the same neighborhood. Like, it's right next door. Like, there's the one we stayed in. There's the one y'all stay in. So you, you, you've been there. They rented that and said, anybody can come, come. 
And so we went, and, um, and, and it's, you know, anybody can come, come, and we've got everything taken care of. Not a, not a penny you're going to pay. And so we went, and we had a good time, and we're getting ready to come home, and, uh, you know, saying goodbye and loading up the car, and my uncle comes out of the, the house to, you know, say goodbye and give me a hug and handshake, and he does that deal where, you know, He's got, like, cash in his hand, so he grabs your hand and, like, pushes the cash into your hand or whatever. And so he does that, and I'm not looking at it or anything, but I'm just like, Big Mac, this is too much. You've paid for everything for three days. We haven't paid a penny for anything at all. And he says, well, it's because I love you, and you might need something to eat on the way home. And so I stick in my pocket. We get in the car. We back out. We drive. Get out of sight. Then I'm getting it out. I want to see what it is, right? Being honest. And it was $200. That's like God. He's not stingy with His grace. He's not stingy with His love. He lavishes it upon us. And when you stand before me like, Lord, this is too much. You can't do anymore. He's like, son, daughter here. With love. I'm not talking about necessarily monetary things. I'm talking about his love and his grace and his peace and his comfort that he lavishes upon us in all wisdom and insight. And you, know, you, know, you can see what we truly deserve and he gives us grace. This is how he is. This is who he is. He is a giver. He gave his only begotten son. He's a giver. And what he wants us to give him is our whole hearts, our whole selves. And so, for one, have you ever given Christ your self? Have you ever trusted him by faith? If you haven't, trust him today. And if you are a believer, but you've always treated him like, like if, you're, if your heart is a house, you let him in the front door, maybe even into the formal living room, but you won't let him, to see, you, you don't want him to see the jack with the rest of your house. You don't want him moving furniture around. Let him in. Give him everything. He's giving you everything. And it is this wellspring of grace that is the I mean, that, that's what it, it's the wellspring of everything. It's by grace that we were chosen. It's by grace that we were adopted. It's by grace that we've been redeemed. It's by grace that we've been forgiven. And it doesn't end there. God just continues to lavish this grace upon us. And he will never stop because he's a loving father who knows what we need and will give it when we need it, how we need it, when we need it, and whether or not we deserve it, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And so praise His name. We have been blessed. He's blessed us with redemption, right? We have redemption. We have forgiveness. We are, present tense, lavished with grace. And number four, bless Him also because He is making known the mystery of His will. Bless him because he is making known the mystery of his will. This is what we see in verse 9, but it makes more sense to start with verse 7 because of the, the structure of the, 
of this partial point of this run-on sentence. Look at verse 7 with me. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. This word mystery is going to occur seven times in Ephesians alone. It occurs 21 times on all of Paul's writings. And it refers to a couple of different things. Here it's primarily referring to God's plan of redemption. That, that the mystery of the Old Testament of a Messiah and a suffering servant and a king and a first advent and a second advent, all of these things that were kind of clouded, uh, they were kind of mysterious in these last days since Christ has come, lived, died, resurrected, ascended back into heaven. These things have become much more clear. Like we can see the fullness of the gospel now because Christ has come. And so this mystery is God's plan of redemption. But then drilling down a little bit deeper, particularly in chapter 2, we're going to see that this mystery primarily refers to how the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, would actually reach out to non-Jewish nations and indwell non-Jewish people. That the, this mystery... Those spoken of all over the Old Testament, the nature of it and the how of this mystery that that Christ would actually live in anyone who believed, Jews and Gentiles alike, and that he would give all who would believe the promise of Abraham, that had not been fully revealed, but now it has been. The true Israel's not about ethnicity, but rather faith. That's now been made more plainly known. Meaning that the hope of the gospel is totally inclusive of anybody who will simply repent and believe. It's not based upon this, 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 or this. It is inclusive of anybody with no prerequisites who will simply repent and believe. And then you and I, he's made this mystery known so that you and I here, like we are here to deliver that message to those around us. And so are you delivering that message to those around around you? This is the idea in our, um, you know, we exist to worship and enjoy God and lead others to do the same. We do that by gathering for worship, growing in groups, serving the church, and going to our neighbors in the nation. That's the idea there, going. But it's also the idea around the, the forward initiative that we've just started. Four initiatives over four years for the glory of God. And the very first one of those is about reaching. Same thing as going. Reaching. And so who are you reaching? Like weekly. I mean, there are people that are in this room now because someone met them at a restaurant and invited them to come to church. 
There are people I know, there's stories of redemption. I mean, they have become a follower of Christ because someone simply said, hey, would you come with me to church? And their entire destiny has been changed. There are others who have sat down and through an extended period of time and conversations have repented and believed the gospel. And their eternal destiny has been changed. And now they're part of this church. And sometimes they're part of another church. But we are called to... Re- we are pr- Just as God has made known the mystery of His will, we are to make known the mystery of His will. Until that great day when all things are united in Christ. And so look with me at this text one more time. In Him, verse 7, this is why you need to bring a Bible. Or use one of the black ones. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. According to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to... So what is all that building to? The, the, the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. And so number five this morning, write this. Bless God because He will unite all things in Christ. So we're starting to transition from present to future now. We had past, today's primarily present, but we're kind of tipping the cap at future. Bless God because He will unite all things in Christ. Like this is, verse 9, God's purpose to do this. This is, verse 10, God's plan for the fullness of time. Theologian John Stott sums it up like this. In the fullness of time... God's two creations, His whole universe and His whole church, will be unified under the cosmic Christ, who is the supreme head of both. If you go to Ephesus today, as you enter into the city, you will walk past, if you go there, I've never been, hope to someday, I've been told, you will walk past the ruins of the Roman emperor Trajan with his foot on the, on the globe, like on the earth. Now that's what the statue was. Today, if you go there, all you're going to see is a little bit of his foot in ruins. His rule has long faded and was never complete. He never ruled the earth. It was only in his dreams. But the reality of Scripture is that one day, every knee on earth and under the earth will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And He will rule over all. There will be no corner of the world or feature of the new heavens or new earth where His rule does not extend. And so what Paul is getting at here with this idea of uniting all things in Christ is that the story of the Bible, the grand overarching story of creation, when he created fall, man sinned, redemption, act three, so four acts, act one, act two, act three, redemption, 
And then restoration, like it's coming. It's going to happen. He will unite all things in Christ. And, and for us, like just in the mire of our lives, it is a lavished down grace of God to know that no matter what is going on in your life, any of the circumstances, it is a life reorienting grace to know that no matter what happens in my life, God is bringing this whole universe under the rule of Jesus Christ. No matter what happens out there, that's happening. There is nothing in the universe, absolutely nothing in this universe that is not going to be brought under the lordship of Christ in one way or another. Like we can bow the knee now in worship or we can bow the knee then in judgment. But bow every person will. And, and, and so think about this truth then in your own life. Like if you're in Christ, this is comforting. If you're not in Christ, this should be terrifying. But it can become comforting if you trust Christ, who has given everything and says, Come to me, all you who are heavy and weary laden, and I will give you rest. Trust Christ. And so for those of you who have trusted in Christ, Think about the comfort this brings in your own life. Maybe it's helpful to think about the comfort it was to Paul in the midst of his life, and what, like when he's writing these words. Because when he was writing these words, AD 62, he was under house arrest in Rome. He went in a dark dungeon, that happened later. Here he was under a house arrest, and he, but he was chained, he was chained to a Roman officer. And yet in the midst of that, he was utterly free. Why? Because he was a servant of a master under whom every power in the universe is being subsumed. And so the Apostle Paul knew that one day that guard to whom he was chained would acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ one way or another. And the commander of that guard to whom he was changed one day would acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ one way or another. And the emperor of that soldier to whom he was changed one day would acknowledge the lordship of Christ in one way or another. And all the kings of this earth will one day acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ one way or another. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess willingly or unwillingly by the grace of God or by the force of God's judgment. Everyone will be a trophy of God, either his grace or his justice. You can't not glorify God. Everybody on the planet will ultimately glorify God in one way or the other. Because he is Lord and all things will be united in him. And so, my friends, if you are in Christ, it is a profoundly comforting thought that there is nothing in this world arrayed against you that will not at the last be brought into submission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so praise Him. Bless His name. He will accomplish His purpose. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, it 
is happening and will happen. And so bless him. Bless him because we have redemption like we have it now. Bless him because we have forgiveness. You are forgiven. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Bless him because we are lavished with grace continually. Bless him because he's making known the mystery of his will and he involves us in the work of his plan, his cosmic eternal plan to redeem people to the praise of his glorious grace. And bless him because he's uniting all things in Christ. And so like we said, this whole litany, this whole run-on sentence poem is just blessing, 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 like fireworks, 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 fireworks. And it should leave us in awe. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I've been adopted. I'm loved. I'm lavished with grace from a God who's not stingy with it. And he's going to unite all things in heaven. And there's nothing arrayed against me that's ever going to stand. Praise him. Bless his name. Let's pray. Father, that is all we can do. Is bless your name and praise you. For, the, for your glory. For your goodness. For your kindness towards us. For your plan of redemption. That you would work. And that you would bring sinners home to yourself. That you would forgive us. That you would redeem us. We don't deserve it. And yet you are kind and you are gracious and you are merciful. And then even after you have saved us. You forgive us again. You've called us to be holy as you are holy. And sometimes we don't live so holy. And you don't treat us like a taskmaster with a clipboard grading our every move, our every mistake, our every failure. Though we deserve to be graded that way, you have given us the grades of Jesus. We get F's, he got A's. And he took our F's and he gave us his A's. And so we praise you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.